unless you are inspiring when you speak, your speech won't inspire anybody. Welcome to Inspiring Leaders, the podcast that shares ideas, perspectives, and best practices from great leaders around the world to help you become a more inspired leader. It's great to welcome you back to the Inspiring Leaders Podcast. I'm your host and executive coach, Terry Lepovsky, and we have a cool show lined up for you today. Today, I'm joined by a world-renowned leader in the area of nonverbal communication. With Mark's help, we're going to explore this topic about nonverbal communication and body language more fully, understand why it's important for leaders, and maybe even hear a few things that we didn't know before. Mark Bowden is known around the world for his expertise in nonverbal communication. He just happens to be a sought-after keynote speaker on this topic. He also trains groups on how to use body language to stand out, win trust, and gain credibility every time they communicate. Mark's the founder of the training company Truthplane, where he trains people, teams, senior executives, and even world leaders. Mark's the author of three books on body language and human behavior. He's a TEDx speaker, and he's been ranked as number one in the world on this topic by The Economist. Mark Bowden, welcome to the show and thank you for being with us here today. Terry, thanks for having me here. It's a great pleasure. The pleasure is all ours. I've seen your work all over the internet, on YouTube. You are really helping people. Mark, I've got a first question for you. Who or what has inspired you? Oh yeah, that's a really good question. And I think it's a bit of a what, which is just human movement in all its glory and forms. I just love watching people move, either as individuals or as group, whether it's just in their everyday life or whether it's in some kind of artistic pursuit. Just the way that we move is an extraordinary thing. We're all up against gravity for a start. We're battling gravity, you know, every day to stay as upright as we can, given the bodies that we have. So there's that battle going on. So we have these battles going on consistently, all the same on the planet, each one of us battling that gravity. And then there's what we decide to do with that, whether it's it's our everyday work and our jobs, how movement comes into that, or the conversations that we're having with people, the play that we have with people, whether we're adults or kids and the, the art that we do. Human beings are pretty extraordinary, and it's great to watch, and that really inspires me. Your qualifications are spectacular. I want to know, Mark, how did you get to where you are today? I know you've been doing this for several years. What exactly are you doing to help people improve their nonverbal communication? Shine a light on some of this for us, if you will. So as a kid, I was equally as obsessed as I am now with movement, but at the time, just more animal movement, especially sea life. I kind of first started off really wanting to be Jacques Cousteau and be a marine biologist. Cool. Just loved that movement of water and the way animals and plants move in water, fascinated by the flow of that movement. Extraordinary. So true. Like a lot of kids at the time in the 70s, TV was my main educator. And in Britain, there was just fantastic natural history television and science television. So I grew up with a real fascination and love of all of that. 
And then as I got a bit older, I got really interested in human beings. Why do we do certain things? Why do we move certain ways? What's the psychology behind that? Why do people act in that way when you provoke them in that way? Why can't we get what we want? Why do we want people to behave in a certain way and they won't? So I got really interested in the influence and persuasion around that. Now, at the same time, I was very good at visual art, very good at seeing pictures and creating pictures and trying to create pictures that changed people's minds, changed people's behaviors, really created a world. And that's the world of art, to be able to create a new world that people can believe in and, and affects them. And so what really happened is I put all of these things together and I started working and studying in what at the time would have been called visual theater. I just called it pictures that move and tell stories. I would help all kinds of organizations across the world and performers tell their stories better by being an expert in the movement that was happening, whether it be on television or in stage or in an animation or in a film. How exactly do you need to move in order to influence and persuade people that something is happening to be able to change their feelings about the world? And then later on, I moved that into the area of politics and business because I'd got quite adept at helping art and performers win trust and credibility. Yeah. When it came to politics and business, trust and credibility was at a pretty low ebb. Yeah, you're scraping the bottom of the barrel there, aren't you? <laughs> politics is, I think, you know, in terms of trust and credibility, uh, ranked lower than lawyers. Yeah, unfortunately. Lawyers used to be ranked the lowest, and corporations and businesses rank pretty low. And so these organizations would come to me, seeing the great work that I'd done in the artistic field, and go, well, can you help our people? And they're normal human beings. They have anxiety, and those anxieties about their message leaks out in their behavior and their body language. And it just so happened that I knew the body language of trust and credibility, and I knew how to teach it to other people. And so that's still the work that I pretty much do, is I help people stand out, win trust, and gain credibility every time they speak. And I do that through their uh, helping them with their nonverbal communication. Now, you've come a long way from watching sea life move in the ocean to helping world leaders and prime ministers really effectively communicate non-verbally in a really inspiring manner. And this is such an important piece of the puzzle, and too many people miss it. I've worked with business leaders from large international organizations, and they're not inspiring trust. You watch them, and they're fidgeting, and they're shifting. People notice this and pick up on it, whether consciously or subconsciously. Just know that the evaluation of them is that they're not putting their best foot forward. They could be more inspiring and more worth following. What would you do to help somebody in that regard? So let me share with you the most powerful stuff and the most important stuff. And it's maybe not strangely the simplest stuff. And this has been my skill, really, is that the skill of an expert is one of economics, which is there are many things that you could do in order to get the results that you want in life, whatever it is. But I think what a real expert can do is help you understand the simplest one to do that gives you the most effect, most economical, because we don't have the resource and the budget to do everything in life. 
We have the resource and the budget to do some things, and we need to get the best results out of that. So when it comes to standing out, winning trust, gaining credibility with our body language, first of all, we need to understand how other people perceive us. Because unless we know how we're being received, we don't quite know what we should put out to get the results that we want. So let me tell you a little bit about the human brain. We've got an instinctual part of our brain and a mainly unconscious part of it that in evolutionary terms is about 500 million years old. And it looks at the environment around it and it can take a new look about every 50th of a second and make a new judgment if it needs to. And it makes these snap judgments about the environment, including us in that environment. It'll see me and it'll instantly judge me and decide, am I a benefit or a risk? It's very binary. Am I a benefit or a risk? Should you approach me or avoid me? So we call that the approach and avoid response. Right. And you can see it's a very primitive system. We all own it. We all use it. Whether we like it or not, it's running in the background all the time. Yeah. Now that I know my audience is using that approach and avoid response, I want to know, do I want to trigger them into approaching me or avoiding me? Now I know it's a binary system, I can start to use a simple binary process. Do I want them to approach or avoid? Okay, so let's just say, hey, I want them to approach me. Now I've got to think, hang on, but what's their default? If no information, what are they going to do? If no information, if I don't do anything, would they approach anyway? That would be like really simple. Just don't do anything yeah. and they'll approach. <laughs> well, it just so happens if you don't do anything, what happens is they're just indifferent. They don't even see you. You need to trigger approach or avoid or you'll land in this area of indifference. So we've definitely got to do something. Before we work out the something we're going to do, let's work out their defaults. The defaults are if there's insufficient data, if there's not enough data to either trigger, approach, or avoid, avoid gets triggered. Better to be safe than sorry. If you can't work out whether somebody's a benefit or a risk, make them a risk. Interesting. If you make them a risk, you're safe. You didn't lose anything. You didn't gain anything. But the human brain is trying not to lose it's already been born. It's already alive. First of all, we've got to give it information. Yeah. Here's number one. You need to be seen. You've got to show as much of yourself as you possibly can. The more data you can give your audience, the more likely you'll trigger them into a positive point of view than a negative point of view. So rule number one is be seen. You got to be present to win. You got to be present. You got to be in it to win it. So we can go, okay, look, show up. 85% of the battle is just being there and showing up. And that's ultimately true. But when you do show up, how hidden are you? Yeah. So are you around furnishings, for example? So your environment will be a huge indicator as to how your audience is going to see you. So when you're in the room with that audience and you want to win trust, when you sit down, for example, are you hidden by the furnishings? When you're speaking, are you standing behind the lectern or the podium and therefore you're hidden? Now, there's nothing wrong with that. There's no bad behavior. There's just results that you wanted or didn't want. But basic, fundamental 
biology tells us that they'll default to the negatives if they can't see you more often than not. So we've got to get out from behind the furniture so we can be seen more. So my first rule of thumb is be seen. Give out more data than you normally would in order to win trust and credibility. Oh man, I hear that. I love it when people will get rid of that podium and actually be seen by people. Reduce the filters so that people can feel like the information is flowing to them much better. Right. Now, there's one caveat to that around the podium, which is sometimes that lectern or podium will hold a social signal that in some social circles will give you rank and status, and therefore that rank and status will outweigh being seen. An example of that, if that lectern or podium has the American seal of office on it. Right. Because if it does, it means whoever is standing behind it is the president of the U.S. or the representative of the president of the U.S. If you get that lectern or podium, you should stand behind it. <laughs> it would be, you know, you'd be kind of an idiot not to. Right. Now, having said that, though, there's been many U.S. presidents that into their terms of office have then moved aside from it, even lent on it, even kind of hung out just by it. Because now they've earned themselves through the work that they've done enough rank or status that they don't need that badge of office. They transcended it. Absolutely. Yeah. The thing about body language and behavior is a little bit of knowledge can be a bad thing. If we just go by the idea of, hey, never stand behind the lectern or podium, we're probably taking away an understanding of why that device was invented and how powerful it can be in certain circumstances. Yeah. And so everything that I'm trying to do with nonverbal communication is about thinking really critically about it, thinking very carefully about it, trying to get through to the real data about nonverbal communication and its power Mm -hmm. and get away from some of the myth and the folklore. Yeah. The essence of it. Exactly. Okay. We've got them uh, communicating from the front of the room. They've removed a lot of those distractions. They're out from behind the furniture. What can we say about their nonverbal communication? How can they inspire a bit more trust? How can they inspire for a start? Let's, let's even not get to trust yet. Let's just get to inspiration. Yeah. So that's a great word, inspiration, because it literally means to breathe in. Yeah. Inspire. Expire, inspire, right. Expire, inspire. What happens when you have expired? Well, you're, you're done. You're dead. You're gone. <laughs> You're no longer alive. Yeah. You're not relevant. Right. Okay. So when you are inspired, you are alive. What I would call you're animated. Yeah. You're trying to be inspired and animated in front of the audience. So the audience know you're a live one, not a dead one. Yeah. You're not unanimate and expired. So how do we inspire the audience, inspire ourselves? But it's very simple. We have something in our breathing called the in-breath and the out-breath. I'll do this loudly so you can hear. What I'm going to do is breathe in. And now I'm on what we call the in-breath. So I've breathed in. I'm still breathing in and out gently, but I've held up. I've suspended that in-breath. And what it does is it's kind of energized me. You can probably hear there's a tonality of voice and an excitement in my voice. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And that's simply because 
I'm getting in quite a lot of oxygen into my bloodstream right now. That's uh, having a really cool reaction with the carbohydrate in my body, causing a molecule called adenosine triphosphate be created, which is the universal energetic currency of the body. Nothing, you know, strange or mystical about that. That's just biological chemistry. So I'm on the in-breath right now. And now what I'm going to do is breathe out. And I'm going to remain on the out-breath as I talk to you. So I'm still breathing in and out because otherwise I'd die. But I've allowed my lungs to remain in the collapsed state that they were in. And can you hear a different tonality of voice in me? Right now. Absolutely. It's opposite of what it was before. Right. Just so you know, Mark Bowden, who's talking to you now, is an inspiring keynote speaker. <laughs> right. <laughs> How true does that I thought fit? it was James Earl Jones for a second, but it's still Mark, I think, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. Go on to the in-breath now, and I suspend on that in-breath. I'm still breathing in and out, so I don't die, but it, my lungs have more capacity. My whole skeletal arrangement is more upright. I'm fighting gravity more. So I'm more animated, more inspired. And again, if I say Mark Bowden is an inspiring keynote speaker, how true does that feel? Well, I'm going to guarantee you one feels more true than the other. And all I'm doing is concentrating on whether I'm on the in-breath or the out-breath to be inspiring. And because of that, I would say it isn't your content that inspires the audience. It's the way you deliver the content that inspires the audience. Brilliant. To then potentially listen to your content, which your content may well have some inspirational qualities to it itself. But ultimately, unless you are inspiring when you speak, your speech won't inspire anybody. I think that that is fantastic advice. I like that. For anybody out there who's watching the people that they're speaking with and they realize that people are down on their iPhones or they're looking around or shifting or talking to the person next to them, it may be simply that little shift and where their focus is in uplifting what they're saying to better connect with people. Absolutely. So again, your environment yeah. will be the biggest predictor of the outcomes of your behavior. Often I'll work with teams in the consulting that I do maybe in their communication when they're having meetings. Maybe meetings aren't going as economically as they would like. They're not getting the results they want in the time span that they want. And they'll often go, what should we be doing in the meetings? And how would we have better conversations? And instantly I go, look, just show me the room that you're doing this in. Show me the room. And often they'll show me the room and I'll go, well, there's your problem. <laughs> really? There's your problem. Just from looking. Yeah, because... Just from looking, you can see how the room is dictating the results that they're getting. Yeah. Because here's the interesting thing. Why are they so upset? Why have they called in a consultant? They called in a consultant because there's a big problem. They don't get it. They're all smart people that hired really smart people. They produce really good results outside of these meetings. And they get in these meetings and they're like, wow, what's going on here? And we're really cool people and we get on in other situations, but these meetings aren't working. Let's look at where it's happening then, because that seems to be the big difference is where it's happening. Let's start with that. And some of the things you can do is instantly pack away the tables, stop people sitting down in the meeting, have them all standing up and make the meeting only last for 20 minutes. 
steps and have them standing up and people soon get to better, quicker, more actionable, creative results when they're standing up for 20 minutes than sitting down for an hour. What strikes me is that we're not even scratching the surface. There is so much to you in the depth and breadth of your knowledge and expertise in this area. I've seen some of the information that you've got out there, both in the three books that you've authored and also in the many resources that are available online for you, which, by the way, I'm going to link to in the show notes. But what I'd really love to do, if we could invite you back onto the show at some future point to dig a little deeper into some of this nonverbal communication magic, I would really appreciate it if you could find some time down the road. I'd be totally happy to. As you say, I've spoken here about some real fundamentals that have a massive effect, but I'm sure people are out there going, yeah, but hang on, what do I do with my hands? And what do I do with my arms? And what do I do with my face? And I don't want to get to that until people really understand the power of even simpler concepts before they even worry about that area, which has huge power as well. But unless you have it on that basis of the fundamentals, you are spending time on some of the wrong things. So many people out there are really concerned about what they're going to say, how they're going to interact with people, but very few people really get down to the way that they're going to communicate non-verbally. Once that door is opened, I think a lot of people are very deeply fascinated about this and they want to learn more. But before we do wrap things up there, I got two last questions for you. Of course. Here's my first one. What do you see are some of the biggest challenges facing leaders out there today? The biggest challenge for leaders and organizations who rely on those leaders is, as I said before, it's trust and credibility. There's so much smartness out there. If you are alive and a human being right now, that is incredible. You've got a brain and you've got a body that functions really well. And yet, you get into this communication situation and people don't believe you. They're not listening to you. You, with your organization, you've created a great product or service or an idea for the world and nobody's listening. And that's the main problem. You're not standing out. When you do finally get heard, you're not being trusted and you're winning no credibilities. Unfortunately, you're a really smart human being in an organization of smart human beings, and they're not listening. And it comes down to trust and credibility. And so that's the problem that I ultimately I'm dealing with every day. I've heard it said before that the human mind is incredible. It starts working the moment that we are born, and it only stops working when we get up to speak to other people. Yeah. <laughs> so I think what you bring to the table, Mark, is you help people to actually use their minds in situations when they're communicating and to use it to their greatest advantage, which is to really understand what that audience is looking for and how to really deliver to a point that's going to instill that inspiration and that trust with other people. Here's my last question for you, Mark. What does inspired leadership mean to you? What it means to me when I'm trying to inspire people I'm trying to help them remember that they're alive because it's easy to forget, isn't it? Oh, yeah. It's really easy with all the stuff going on. Chaos of our lives, right? Absolutely. And the way that your body and mind will get you through a lot of life 
without you ever really having to notice that it's going on. I speak at organizations, events. My guess is, is they want me to speak to their people, their leadership or their sales because they're interested in that trust and credibility piece. They want me to train them how to use their body language in order to win trust and gain credibility. Now, what am I really there to inspire them with? I'm really there, I think, so that during my speech, they literally at times touch their body and they go, wow, I'm alive. And they start thinking, they're thinking about what I'm talking about. And their brain suddenly goes, wow, I'm thinking about thinking. That's incredible. There's nothing else on the planet. There is literally nothing else on the planet that can think about thinking. Yeah. That's extraordinary. So for the hour that they're with me, they get entertained and educated, but they get in contact with themselves physically and mentally, and they just have that moment where they go, you know what? I'm alive. Yeah. That's a really cool thing. Yeah. I've been so impressed with everything that I'm hearing from you, Mark. It's no wonder your books are flying off the shelf. It's no wonder your phone is ringing off the hook. Thank you so much for joining us here today. I feel honored to have a world-class expert with us here to better understand nonverbal communication. Mark, you're helping people everywhere become more inspiring. Well, thanks for the interview, Terry. It's great fun, and I will be back with you. Yeah, I can't wait. Definitely, we will dig a little deeper into this. Well, there you have it, folks. Another incredible and worthwhile leader right here on the Inspiring Leaders Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it, and we hope that you'll join us again next time. Don't forget to subscribe and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, SoundCloud, or wherever you happen to be tuning into this show. We appreciate your time and your attention. Take care, and bye for now. 